Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. If you're just visiting tonight, you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Into the Deep. And the situation, the context that we've got for the series is from Luke chapter 5, where Jesus engages Simon, who is also known as Cephas or Peter. So you can pick a name, you can call him Simon Cephas Peter, you can call him whatever you want, but it's the same guy. And God engages this guy, and at the time, Simon is a fisherman. And he's got this boat, and Jesus Walks up to him and says, Simon, I, I need your boat. I want to get in because the crowds are gathering. He wants to speak to the people. So Simon says, yes. It didn't make sense. He was cleaning his nets. It's like, but there's something about this man, Jesus. And Simon says, yes, to that. And then Jesus says, actually, I need more than just your boat. I need you to push out into the deep. Now into the deep didn't make sense because these fishermen knew you fish during the nighttime in the shallows. But this guy's asking him to fish in the daytime in the deep. It didn't make sense. And yet Simon was on a journey, and Jesus was on a journey with his disciple. Simon's not just some random guy on the beach. Simon's a disciple. Jesus knows that he's investing himself into this guy who will then take the gospel into more and more of everything that Jesus is calling him to. And in that journey, we see this keeping saying yes, and and it's the journey of every disciple. If you've said yes to Jesus, you're on a discipleship journey and you always will be. You will never be offered. It'll never be finished. It'll never be ended. And every day you wake up, Jesus asks the same thing he asked of Simon that day. Do you trust me? Can I use your boat? Some of you are like, I don't own a boat. It's not about a boat. It's a euphemism. For your life, your story, your time, your talents, your treasures, your car, your home, your um, whatever is going on in your life, your boats in your life. And then he says, not just that, he wasn't to leave you there. He says, will you put it out to the deep? I know it doesn't make sense, but in the deep, there's a great catch. In the deep, there might be trials and treasures, but in the deep, there's a great catch. And I'm calling you into the deep. It's more than just about becoming deep. It's about going with Jesus, because wherever Jesus is, it's the best place we could be. And for Daniel, that was in a lion's pit. For Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, in a fiery pit. For David, on a battlefield against Goliath, it's the best place they could ever be. And Jesus says, I am interested in disciples. I want to keep calling disciples to journeys that look like this journey with Jesus. And I want to tell you, it wasn't a fishing technique Jesus was teaching Simon. It's like, I'm going to teach him how to fish today. Simon's like, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'm going to go out in the daytime to the deep, throw my nets on the left side, not the right side. Fish are going to come, then I'm going to call my mates. The problem is people treat Jesus a little bit like that, often Christians. We get these Christian ways, Christian techniques, Jesus techniques that worked in the past, so they must be Jesus forever into the future, and we become technicians of the gospel of Jesus, and I'm telling you, we hurt people with it. Jesus says, I never designed you to be a technician, I designed you to be a follower, and there are some Jesus ways, and there's some Jesus fruitful ways, but I'm telling you, without our eyes on Jesus, following him in faith following him and giving him our boats, following him to the deeper waters, we can take those very same techniques and hurt people. I believe individual Christians can do it. I believe churches can do it. That's why we are called to be Jesus' followers. And at the center of this into the deep is not just some clever idea. At the center of this into the deep is the journey of a disciple. But the story continues, and I want to pick up from the end of that part in chapter 5 and bring a few thoughts from the next three encounters that Simon has. 
See, Simon's just a guy on a journey, like you and I. Who's on a journey? Who, who's at the end of their journey? Anyone here? So one or two hands went up. I'm a bit worried. <laughs> None of us at the end of our journey. Stood this morning with an amazing lady, Lydia, who for the last couple of years has come to church and not been able to see me because her eyes are challenged. But she still comes to church and she worships Jesus and she hangs out with her friends. And then she's moving to Joburg this week to be with her son and go on a new journey. Her, her race is not run. She's still on a discipleship journey. She's still called to, will you trust me, Lydia? Will, will you allow me into your boat, Lydia, the boat of your life? Will, will you go into the deep with me, Lydia? It's an amazing thing. She's been here since 2003. An amazing, amazing. But there's these three scenarios that play out. And the first one is this in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So I think this is about Jesus the healer. I think this is about the leper. I think it's about all of the things. But you know who it's also about? Simon, the disciple, who's left his fishing boat behind, and he's following this man, Jesus, this king, Jesus, and he's saying, who is this king? This king is the one who ministers to the lepers who should not be in town. They should not be in the presence of Jesus. If you don't know your history, the history is lepers were sent out of town. They were excommunicated. They were told to have bells, and people would come near them. They would ring their bell and say, unclean, unclean. And yet this leper, who shouldn't be there, who shouldn't receive this grace, receives grace. And Jesus is saying, I needed my disciple, Simon, to know that I'm the God who heals the ones who shouldn't be. And then it carries on. The very next story, verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And yes, it's about the God who heals the paralyzed. And it's about Jesus. And it's about friendship. It's about all those things. You know what it's also about? A disciple named Simon who's in the room watching Jesus minister. And the crowds are pouring in. And all of a sudden, the roof peels back. And God, Jesus, heals a paralyzed man. And Simon's heart's going, this guy couldn't get healed. He couldn't even get in the room. He couldn't get in the room. And yet Jesus heals him. And the heart of a disciple gets bigger. The heart of a disciple starts to see more of what it is to follow Jesus. And less of a man in a fishing boat, but more of a Jesus man. And the next story plays out in the same chapter, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his table. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. It's about tax collectors, it's about sinners, it's about Jesus who comes and ministers as the friend of sinners, it's the one who brings grace and glory into every situation. But you know what it's also about? A disciple named Simon, who's watching the God who ministered to the one who shouldn't, the leper who should be outside. He ministers to the one who couldn't, he couldn't even get there. And now he ministers to those who just wouldn't come. They have money, they have social circles, they have everything, but they need Jesus. And Simon, the disciple, is watching every step of the way. And Jesus is going, I'm okay with the crowds following, but I'm looking for disciples. He's still saying to the church, I'm okay with the crowds, but I'm looking for disciples. He's still speaking that word. I believe the Jesus model, the gospel is always meant to be wider than we thought, always broader, always the gospel going to the shouldn'ts, the couldn'ts, and the wouldn'ts. Jesus is speaking. You know what I love about all that? Because there was always a bigger story. 
And the biggest story is this guy, Simon Peter, would be used to minister as the first minister to Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 in Cornelius. But he needed to know that this is who our God was, and he needed to walk a journey. So tonight we continue with our series. And can you say this with me? Because you're quite quiet tonight. Can you say, reach far? Reach far. Raise up. Raise up. Release, wide. Release wide. Awesome. That's who we are. And it's simple. We simple, so we put on the wall. It's that simple, really. And the reason we do that is because we quickly, and I feel as the church, we often quickly forget what the trial line of what we're doing is. It can so easily become about oh, such nice gathering. We just gather and we just gather and we, we just gather. And we make friends with nice Christians and they don't swear like the people at work. We just love being together all the time. But that's not our mission. So it's on the wall to remind you that God has called us to reach those far from Christ. And those who are on a journey, and I love even engaging. I don't want to embarrass anyone tonight, but I met a man tonight who's on a journey of engaging Jesus for the very first time in his life and doing it through the Alpha course because a friend invited him. I'm going, thank you, Jesus. It's a glorious journey. It'll change your life forever. That's why we exist. And he says, I want you to raise him up like Jesus, investing in Simon. Invest, invest, invest. Why? Because there was a family under Cornelius who needed salvation one day. Maybe just for that family. Jesus came and he's, what he didn't preach, he didn't preach the kingdom of the church. He didn't say, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you how to do church. No, Jesus came and he came back and after he had 40 days with his disciples, it says he preached about one thing, the kingdom of God. A kingdom that is bigger than just the four walls of the church. A kingdom that is understood to be, yes, the church is the forefront and the pinnacle and, and the arrowhead of that story. But it's a kingdom where everywhere you place your feet as sons and daughters, the kingdom of God is advancing. The kingdom of God is everywhere that the rule and the reign of Jesus comes. It's in the boardrooms of our city. It's in, in, the, in the hospitals. It's wherever you go. The kingdom of God is advancing. And the problem is there's some limited thinking in the church because we get so excited about the kingdom of the church, we forget Jesus called us to the kingdom of God, a bigger kingdom, a kingdom advancing, advancing into areas of justice, advancing into areas of development, advancing into every area of life. Why? So that God could get the glory. And it's a strategy, and it always has been the strategy of God, to raise up men and women, not just preachers, but men and women with grace upon their lives who can go out of the four walls and the box of the church into a world that needs Jesus. They want Him. They just don't know it. They don't know it. They were born to desire Him. They were born to be loved by Him and to love Him and to worship Him. And it's our job to promote and to provoke and to call them to more of that journey in this story. I want to give you a quote that will challenge some of your thinking. And I ask that some of that thing would be good to be challenged tonight. It's from Howard Snyder. I've used it before church, but I love it. The church gets in trouble whenever it thinks it is in the church business rather than the kingdom business. In the church business, people are concerned with church activities, religious behavior, and spiritual things. In the kingdom business, people are concerned with kingdom activities, all human behavior, and everything God has made visible and invisible. Kingdom people see human affairs as saturated with spiritual meaning and kingdom significance. Kingdom people seek first the kingdom of God and its justice. Church people often put church work above concerns of justice, mercy, and truth. Church people cannot 
think about, church people think about how to get people into the church. Kingdom people think about how to get the church into the world. Church people worry that the world might change the church. Kingdom people work to see the church change the world. If the church has one great need, it is this, to be set free for the kingdom of God, to be liberated from itself as it has become in order to be itself as God intends. The church must be free to participate fully in the economy of God. God's economy is different. We participate in the economy of God. Wherever you go, whatever that job is you do, whoever you serve, whatever capacity you're in there, the kingdom of God is advancing. Why? Because you are there and the economy of heaven can break in there because you are there. Luke Hahn and Simone passed their board accounting, accounting board. And I get excited by that. Not because it just offers opportunities for them, but because it places them in positions of greater influence for the kingdom of God. They will step into boardrooms that others won't because of their hard work, their diligence, and their faithfulness. They will step into boardrooms and opportunities and possibilities because they have been faithful with the gifts and the grace upon their life. And because of that, they will step into spaces of influence so that the kingdom of God can keep being extended. I'm so grateful that God does that. And that is how he advances his kingdom. And Jesus speaks so much about his kingdom but he keeps reminding us as he speaks in this story that, yes, the God's chosen vehicle is the church in that story. I love in Ephesians 3, the apostle starts out this. He writes, to me, the very least of all the saints. He's a humble guy because he wasn't, but he, he's a humble guy. He says, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable richness of Christ. This grace was given to me to preach. And yet there's grace on your life to do many things. Yes, we will all preach at times. We are all in different contexts, different forums, but not all of us are called to be preachers. What's the grace on your life? Write it down now. What's the grace on your life? Where's there been fruit? Or maybe it's not obvious. Maybe you're like, well, I, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't great academically. Maybe I struggled. No, but, but have you been fruitful in relationships and friendships? Have you been fruitful in encouraging people? Have you been fruitful in being kind to people? Have you been fruitful in advancing? Maybe you've been fruitful in strategy, and God can use those areas. Maybe you've been fruitful in any areas. I don't know, but there's grace on every son and daughter of the living God. And the key is for us as leaders and for you as, us as a church to encourage each other, to spur one another on in the grace that he has placed upon your life and my life. And in each of those areas, the grace of God gets fueled and fired. The kingdom of God begins to advance. And we start playing in a bigger story. We start knowing why the church exists. We start understanding and we start getting fueled up and fired up as we celebrate each other in that story. Because it's not about pulling off great Sundays. It's about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Believers alive, full of power, full of fire in the presence of God. Advancing. I'm excited by this stuff. It carries on in verse 10. All of this so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So there's this grace upon Paul's life. There's this grace upon your life, all of it, so that the manifold wisdom of God could be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities of our world. See, we can pray a thousand prayers for our country of change the president and change this. And I know Christians are doing that because they all have a Facebook doing it. But I'm telling you, one of the things we can do more is work hard, be faithful, trust God. Nehemiah was a man who worked for a foreign king for 12 years. And after 12 years of working for him, the king goes, you're sad today. 
he notices one thing, that for the first time in 12 years, this foreign slave in exile is sad. Could your boss say the same thing? He's like, you sad every day. No, he says, Nehemiah, you sad today. What's wrong? He says, no, my heart's burning because the walls are broken and I've got to go. He says, I'll back you. I'll make a way. A foreign king. I want that favor in our lives. And I'm telling you, we make ourselves blessable when we work hard, when we deal with our attitudes, when we understand that sometimes we work for grumpy people. Sometimes your work will be overlooked. But Jesus always sees it. And he always keeps pulling us into a kingdom of God's story, which is bigger. And that is the greatest privilege every son and daughter of the living God has to play a part in that story. I want to tell you some stories that inspire me. Who likes Cadbury's chocolate? This side is honest. You guys are like, mm-mm, mm-mm, vegan. <laughs> now, John Cadbury's in 1923. He was a Quaker. This was this movement of brothers. Of, they were called the Association of Friends. They worshiped Jesus. They, they, they had church together. They navigated. And yes, there have been some interesting sects of the Quaker, but on the whole, the evangelicals worshiping Jesus. And they would gather. And in their gathering, they decided that actually... This whole boozing thing isn't good for families. And John Cadbury's rose up, something rose up inside of him and says, actually, families are being destroyed because the only place for men to gather in pubs and the only thing to drink at pubs is ale. So I'm going to come up with another story. I'm going to come up with something called hot chocolate. And men could start to gather, drinking something, speaking and encouraging it, but drinking something other than ale. Why? Because inside of him is a redemptive story. Inside of him was a redemptive potential, not just a bottom line profit and a company that would stand for 200 years, but a redemptive potential to fight for families. What are you fighting for? Make it a worthwhile fight. Make it a Jesus fight. Make it something that advances the kingdom of God. And I promise you, watch the favor of God pour out. What about some other examples? Lloyds of London. Again, Quaker brothers gathering, and they're saying, guys, we, we, we've got ships, we've got advancing, and people have got ships, and they've got no way to insure them. Why don't we insure each other? So they gathered, and there's an agreement that if your ship goes down while traveling, we will back you, and we'll make sure your business survives. Because there's families and their businesses, like all of a sudden, Lloyds of London Insurance comes out. Uh, what about other things? What about, have you heard of Barclays Bank? Barclays Bank came from the Quaker Bank. And they were trusted even by the unbelievers and the non-Quakers. They were so trusted that people would give their money to them to look after them. But they took it a step further and said, we want to fight against injustice where people are getting paid, where people are forced to pay too much for products and commodities. We are going to come up with something called the Quaker price. And the Quaker price was a fair price. And they would determine the Quaker price and they would charge that to consumers so that people weren't ripped off. Who would love to see Christians impacting economies so that the Quaker price, or not the Quaker price, but the Jesus price, the just price was in place? I'd love to see that. You know how we're going to see that? When men and women understand their call, their identity, and the grace gifts upon their lives, and they walk in that, not with some devalued idea that, oh, I'm an accountant, what am I doing for Jesus? Rubbish! You are a gifted, graced son of God, daughter of God, empowered for a gospel story where the world begins to change because you are in it and you are anointed for that story. And anointing doesn't just come upon you to make you feel good. Anointing comes so that rooms begin to change because you are in them. And I've told the story before, yeah, but years ago, I was a corporate guy in a corporate world climbing a corporate ladder in competition with my colleagues. That's what the environment was. And one, every 12 years, they would, every year, they would choose 12 people. 
and take them away for two weeks and invest thousands, take them to fancy things, tell them you're chosen and invest in them as leaders. And one year I got chosen to go on that. Amazing. So we go and one day they, there's a guy pictures up. His name's Nibs van der Spey. He has a goatee that's kind of weaved all the way down here. He's a muser. And he's a famous muser. And they say Nibs comes in and he was there to kind of inspire us. I don't know. This is what corporate oaks do with budgets. They bring in musos to play music for you. And, and, it's, uh, and they played music for us. And that music, he said, now what I want you to do is I'm going to play and I'm going to get you to write stuff down. Just write whatever's going on in your head. So everyone does that. But see, I love Jesus. So no one knows, but I'm writing a song to Jesus with a, with a classic muso playing. And we're sitting in this luxury resort somewhere in northern Natal. And then he says, okay, now what I'm going to do, I'm going to play my music. And then he turns to me and says, you Mark from Pletson, eh? I said, uh, yeah. He says, you've got three sisters, right? Yeah. He says, your sisters are all professional singers, so I bet you can sing. <laughs> no, yeah, sort of. So he says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to play guitar, and Mark is going to sing what he's written down. Like, that wasn't part of the deal. But as best as I know hell, how... I don't want to know hell too well. As best as I know how, I felt the Spirit of God said, I'm with you. He began to play. And I began to sing. And the presence of God invaded a room full of ambitious, competitive young people. People started to cry. And I ended up having an opportunity with three of those people to process the gospel, the call, and, and who God was. Because of a moment... Not because I was a marketing guy, not because I had a business degree, not because of anything other than I'm just a son of God with a grace gift on my life to lead people to Jesus through being myself. And that's all you are. But we've devalued that in too much of the church. What about, have you heard of these New Testament guys or guy and girl, Priscilla and Aquila? They were these tent makers. They were business people. They were productive business people. So many people caught up just with the bottom line. And yet Paul honors these guys. And in Romans chapter 16, he writes, what did he write? Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. And they helped plant the church in Corinth. They helped plant the church in Ephesus. They helped plant the church in Rome. And they weren't preachers. They were a husband and wife who had business as the gift and the grace upon their lives. And Paul's saying, they helped us, the co-workers in the gospel. And I'm trying to break some thinking in the church. I'm trying to break some thinking in you maybe. Where church was, I go to a church so a man of God can minister the gospel to me. I can feel good about it. Make it to the next week and he can do the same thing. That is too small a thing. That is a lie. It's not what the gospel says. The gospel says, through the priesthood, through every son and daughter of the living God, I will put my anointing inside of them because my spirit is inside of them, and I want them to go into environments, spaces, places, businesses, economics, whatever, so the kingdom of God can advance. That's our mission. And there's a temptation to stay small. And I imagine Simon standing on that beach going, I like my boat. I like fishing at night with my mates. I like going home to my bed. I like all those things because they are familiar, because I'm good at them, because I have a track record in them. And Jesus says, I'm pulling you into something so much bigger. And I'm telling you, he wants to do the same with each and every one of us. 
It's will we trust Him? Will we allow Him to get into our boats? And will we go to the deep with Him? Regardless of circumstances, situations. See, the challenge is always there. And in Matthew 17, Peter said to Jesus, Simon Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. They're on a mountain. He says, let's put up three shelters, one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, one Elijah, because Moses and Elijah pitch up, which is pretty darn amazing, on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's quite a heavenly activity thing going on. It's like, wow, Moses is here. Elijah here, Jesus here. Let's just pitch in, let's stay here. That's what Simon, great idea. We want to do that too often in the church. Let's stay at church forever. Let's have church seven nights a week. No. Sad. Too small. Why? Because the mission is out there. Someone said to me, I get reached for as part of a church mission. I get raised up as part of a church mission, but release wide. That's all the mission. Go into all the world and make disciples. And Simon says, well, let's Jesus, let's just say, Jesus says, no, boys, we're going down the mountain. You know why? Because the very first person Jesus encounters at the bottom of a mountain is a demon-possessed boy who needed deliverance, and Jesus sets him free. He says, we got, Christians need to keep going to the top of the mountain, seeing Jesus, and coming down to the bottom to minister to the broken, the bruised, and those who need him the most, because he didn't come for the saved. He came for the broken. He came to set them free, and he wants to use you and I as part of that story. And I want to take away the disqualifiers and take away the lies that that's someone else's story. It's your story. Mm. Mm, I get excited about this stuff. And it looks so ordinary. Let me tell you about a friend of mine named Ben DeVette. He's from Zimbabwe. He had to leave his country years ago and leave most of his earthly wealth or whatever behind. He's an exile in this land. He's a foreigner. He's an alien. And yet I meet him when I arrive in Cape Town. I say, what do you do? He says, well, mm, I got a smelter in Zambia. Only Zimbabweans have smelters in Zambia. I'm just telling you. It's like only a Zimbo would have a smelter in Zambia. Like no one else has that. And every time I saw him, smelter, smelter. But nothing happened with the smelter because it probably was never going to happen. But then someone owed him money and he said, ah, this guy gave me a container of artificial grass. Five years ago, he says, what do I do? So he starts to sell it. He realizes he can rent it, so he starts to rent it. He starts buying more from overseas. He starts renting it. Then you know what happens? There's a God in heaven who says, I'm going to bring a drought on Cape Town, and everyone's going to want artificial grass. And there's a guy named Ben DeVette who's faithful, who's blessable, who kept smiling in the dark days, who kept worshiping me, who kept serving, who kept loving, who kept his heart open to people, whose wife and himself kept sowing into people's lives. I want to bless them, and I want to use them to advance the kingdom of God. And this week, he does a big event, and he's into much bigger things. Why? Because God always wants to pour out upon his children, and he wants to use us in a gospel-advancing, kingdom-advancing story. And you go, what does artificial grass have to do with the gospel? Everything. Because he gets into boardrooms he never would have got into before. He gets to encounter people along the way. He gets to serve people well. And people go, there's something different about that guy. Because he's not trying to rip us off. And he delivers on everything he says he will. Some people call that supernatural. But he's a kingdom advancing man. I think of my friend Shay. With faith, stepping out of the church, Jono, who's led worship tonight, his wife, saying, actually, I'm going to leave the comfort and the safety of employment. I'm going to go and go into the, to start a dance school because that's my passion and there's a grace upon my life for these things. 
So here's where I want to leave us tonight, and we're going to take communion. Into the deep is not about going on some soul-searching journey. Into the deep is about making a decision and to be a disciple of Jesus and answering these three things. That Jesus asks you, not me. Will you trust me? Will you let me into your boat? And will you go into the deep when I call you to? And reach far. Jesus was in heaven with Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in perfect community, looking at the brokenness of the world and creation and sons and daughters of God who had no way home. And they said, I'll go. I'll go into the smallness of a woman's womb. I'll leave the perfection of heaven. And I will reach into the underbelly of earth so that sons and daughters have a way home. Raise up. What I'll do is I'll spend my time with 12 rapians, fishermen and tax collectors and men who don't deserve it and men who would be least qualified and young men, probably most of them late teenagers. And I'll invest my life for three years into them and I'll teach them what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And I'll raise them up to be mighty warriors and I'll take them from smelly fishermen to apostles to the nations who reach into the Gentiles and beyond and release wide. Well, I'll down a cross and I'll open up my life, my story, my everything so that they can go full of power. See, you can't do this on your own. You need the anointing of the living God. You need the power of God. And you need a revelation that you are saved, secure, whole, made whole by Jesus, walking forward in his steps, enabled by him. Otherwise, we're just another accountant, just another vet, just another whatever. But you aren't, because the Spirit of God is upon you, because you've been washed by His blood, because you've been made whole, because His body was beaten and broken. When you walk into environments, situations will change. When I walk into the home of a marriage or a situation or a business is broken, I'm not going, I'm a pastor, it must change. I'm going, I'm a son of God, and my Father loves to hear my voice. And because my Father loves to hear my voice, I will call out to Him to change on earth what is broken because in heaven it won't be broken. And I will call on His name because that's who He is. Can we come and get of the tables tonight and receive as we take communion together? There's table at the back and there's tables at the front and we're going to take communion together. Maybe I can invite the band up to stage. I want to tell you so much of what the church don't step into and I don't step into. It's because I have an inability to unlearn the things that are unhelpful to the forward movement of the gospel. What do I mean? For too long, too many people in the church specifically have been told your job is to sit in pews. Your job is to listen. Your job is to come when we call you. Your job is to cheer us on when we preach well and cheer us on when we preach badly. Your job is to get excited when the church does something. And I'm telling you, the future looks different. The prophetic picture of God's church is different in His Word. It's different because of this blood and this body that was broken. That said, every son and daughter has my power flowing through their veins because of my blood and my body. Every single one. But the way we move forward is not to get angry about the past or consider and spend too much time looking back. We've got to look forward and say, what does that mean for me? Meryl, what does it mean for you? 
Walking with Jesus. A disciple of Jesus. What does into the deep mean? There's authority on your life. There's dreams inside of you. The enemy wants to bottle those things up. Wants to limit them. Wants to keep them small. Wants to keep them narrow. And Jesus says, no, I've called you to be someone who really wise. There's a heart of compassion inside of you for people. And it gets bottled up at times because you're fearful that if you open up. But I promise you, in the opening up, there's Jesus. In the compassion, there's Jesus. In the giving, there's Jesus. In the pain, there's Jesus. In the concerns, there's Jesus. In the anxieties, there's Jesus. This blood... It washes off every stain. Every stain, every label, every blemish. It just washes it away. And Mark is too good to be true. It's called the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. My job is to believe it. My job is to trust it. My job is to allow myself to be washed by it. Forever changed by it captivated by it and it's all because of Jesus and so as we take of this communion tonight I pray we'd be like the early church who in these moments they didn't rush rush through because they believed the presence of Jesus was in their midst they believed that the power and the possibilities of heaven were in their midst they believed that Everything Jesus was doing on the cross was available in that moment in fullness. And I believe it too. And I'm telling you, church, we won't run into everything God has for us if we allow everything to hold us back. Pains and brokennesses, disappointments, disillusionments, and the labels of your past. Allow Jesus to take the labels off. Sometimes they stick to us. Sometimes we take the label off and it's like the ink went through the label and it's on our clothing, it's on our hearts, it's on our person. And Jesus says, not with this blood. This blood is more mighty, more powerful, stronger than any stain or blemish. Why? Because you're the bride of Christ and he poured out his blood so you could be free.